there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Nancy! Hazel! Oh, what's the use, Joe? We'll never find them out here. Not with that attitude. (sighs) If I hadn't blabbed about seeing their car on the road, I wouldn't even be out in this heat. Yes, Jim. A woman and her daughter are missing... But you being hot is the real tragedy. That's not what I meant. I just... Ah! What's going on down there? It's them. We have to get the sheriff. Jesus Christ. Who would do something like this? This is Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories, a podcast original. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Every Tuesday, we dive into the world of a real unsolved murder and try to solve the case. You can find episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Unsolved Murders for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Unsolved Murders in the search bar. At Parcast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. This is our first episode on Hazel and Nancy Frome. While on a road trip in 1938, the mother and daughter were brutally and mysteriously murdered in Texas near the Mexican border. This week, we'll cover the series of unfortunate events that led to their deaths. Next week, we'll cover the decades-long investigation into their murders and try to pinpoint a suspect. Hazel and Nancy Frome lived charmed lives in Berkeley, California, hundreds of miles away from the site of their eventual deaths. The Frome family started in earnest in 1913. Hazel Johnson was a 25-year-old schoolteacher in Webb City, Missouri, when she met and fell in love with Weston Frome, a 25-year-old manager for the Atlas Powder Company. The two were married in October of that year. The couple settled in Webb City, near the Atlas Powder Plant, 
They had two daughters in quick succession. Nancy Frome was born on July 13, 1914, followed by Maida on September 20, 1915. The Frome girls grew up to be beautiful and talented, each in their own way. Nancy was petite and bubbly with dark blonde hair and a short curly bob. Maida was taller and quieter, with longer brown hair. In 1932, just as the girls were finishing up high school, the family moved from Missouri to California's Bay Area. Weston had been promoted to a dual role with the Atlas Powder Company. He became regional sales manager of the Western United States and Latin America, while also becoming the manager of an explosives plant in California. The promotion came with a significant raise. His new salary would total over $400,000 today. His high income was well-earned. Atlas Powder had several lucrative government contracts. The military required massive quantities of explosives in the years leading up to World War II. Weston was a humble man who downplayed his role in the military-industrial complex. But at the time, he was privy to top-secret construction blueprints, information that would have been highly valuable to any enemy nation. Weston's high-powered executive position also meant that he was often away from home. But luckily, the Frome women had each other for company. Supported by Weston's generous salary, Hazel, Nancy, and Maida lived the high life. They sailed around the world not once, but twice, stopping for adventures in Asia, North Africa, and Europe. Though it was rare for the time, they usually traveled without a male chaperone. They drank socially, smoked cigarettes, and read the papers. Not only did the Frome women read the papers, they were often featured in them. At home in the Bay Area, Hazel, Nancy, and Maida's exploits were a regular fixture in the society pages. In most matters, Nancy and Maida exceeded society's and their mother's expectations. The Frome girls were high achievers at boarding school, where they became talented musicians and equestrians. Hazel took care to manage the family's social appearances, all with the goal of ensuring her daughters made smart marriages. However, the daughters' love lives proved to be a source of disappointment. While both Nancy and Maida were offered proposals in college with well-off young men, neither match would stand the test of time. In May 1937, Maida caused quite a stir in the community at large when she abruptly called off her engagement to Jack Brittingham. Brittingham was a catch, handsome, athletic, and wealthy to boot. Hazel took the news hard and did everything in her power to change her daughter's mind, but Maida stood her ground. A few months later, in the fall of 1937, it became clear why Maida broke off her seemingly perfect engagement. She set the whole Frome family household into an uproar when she announced that she would marry someone else entirely. What did you just say? I said I'm getting married. To whom? How did this happen? And so soon after Jack? His name's Benjamin McMakin. He's a lieutenant in the Marine Corps. I'm sure that's very honorable. But what kind of prospects does he have? How will he support you? We'll support each other. I know he's not the son-in-law you were hoping for, but I love him. I hope you can be happy for me. I'm happy for you, sister. How exciting. That is, um, quite a development. A development? Is that all you have to say, Weston? It's a scandal. Well, Hazel, that's her business, isn't it? 
it will be everyone's business when it's plastered across the papers. Turning down Jack Brittingham for this nobody will be a laughingstock. I'm sorry you feel that way, Mother, but I'm marrying Benjamin, whether you like it or not. Maida married Lieutenant Benjamin McMakin in December of 1937. The newlyweds soon moved across the country to the Paris Island Marine Corps base in South Carolina. While 49-year-old Hazel was dismayed with the match, Nancy was thrilled for her beloved sister. She wanted to visit Maida in South Carolina as soon as possible, but her mother had other ideas. Good morning, Mother. How are you doing today? Mm, don't bother asking again, Nancy. You can't go alone. It's out of the question. Mother, that's ridiculous. I'm perfectly capable of traveling by myself. Father, will you please tell her that I will be fine? I know better than to take sides with you two. But, Nancy, dear, I'm afraid a plane ticket just isn't in the cards right now. Why not? Well, I, I don't want to worry you, but things are a little tight right now, financially speaking. What's the problem, darling? Has something gone wrong at the plant? No, no, nothing to worry about, just a temporary setback. But for the time being, driving might be best. You can take the Packard. Well then, it's settled. Nancy, you can't possibly drive all that distance on your own. I'm coming with you. Fine, if you must. But I insist that we leave as soon as possible. Hazel and Nancy's fateful trip might not have happened if Weston hadn't recently won a brand new 1937 Packard in a charity raffle. The Packard was a massive, top-of-the-line luxury vehicle, perfect for a long cross-country drive. With the logistics finally sorted out, Nancy and Hazel eagerly began preparing for their trip. Each of them was excited for their own reasons. Nancy couldn't wait to see her sister, while Hazel thought the drive would be an excellent opportunity to stop by the Brittingham Estate in northern Mexico. Hopefully there weren't hard feelings about Maida breaking off her engagement with Jack. And if Jack was still upset, he did have an equally dashing, equally wealthy bachelor brother. Are you done packing yet, Mother? We have to get on the road. I'm almost ready. How about you? Yes, I brought everything you told me to. Coats, shoes, hats, and stockings. Hmm, did you pack that lovely turquoise chiffon dress? Why? Do you plan on attending the ball while we're on the road? You'd never know. Anything could happen. All right, I'll pack that too. But then, we're leaving. In March of 1938, Nancy and Hazel were ready to hit the road but circumstances conspired to delay their eagerly awaited trip. Severe floods and mudslides along their planned route through Southern California temporarily thwarted their departure. Less adventurous souls might have delayed the trip indefinitely, but Nancy and Hazel were undaunted. They set out for South Carolina as soon as the weather would allow on March 23, 1938. While Highway 50 had finished construction in 1926 and cut straight across the country from San Francisco to Maryland, the Frome women chose instead to take Highway 80, which was still under construction on the West Coast. Perhaps Hazel suggested the southern route because it would make it easier to drop in on the Brittinghams in Mexico. Whatever the reason, the choice was made. The Frome women were finally on their way. 
Little did they know their trip would be plagued by setback after setback from the moment they left their doorstep until their journey's untimely end. Coming up, we'll cover Nancy and Hazel's disastrous road trip across the American Southwest. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click gift mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. And now, back to the story. In the spring of 1938, 49-year-old Hazel Frome and her 23-year-old daughter Nancy planned a trip to visit Nancy's newlywed sister Maida in South Carolina. After days of weather-related delays, the Frome women were finally on the road. Though no one could have foreseen the fatal turn their trip would take, in some ways Hazel and Nancy's journey was doomed from the beginning. When they set out, their goal was to drive all day, stop only at night, and arrive in Paris Island, South Carolina, after six days on March 29, 1938. But almost immediately, this plan was thrown out the window. The flooding in California that initially delayed their trip was much worse than anticipated. With many roads and bridges washed out, the Frome women were forced to take several detours. By the end of their first day, they were forced to stop for the night in Los Angeles. To make up for lost time, Hazel and Nancy left early the next morning on March 24, 1938. They again chose a less direct route that would take them south, this time through Phoenix and El Paso. Hazel and Nancy hoped their route through the desert would avoid the worst of the recent flooding, but they were disappointed to find this wasn't the case. Their second day on the road, they faced more detours and washed out roads all the way to the Arizona border. The stress of navigating around road hazards made what was supposed to be an enjoyable drive a far more harrowing experience. And yet another wrench was about to be thrown into the works. Ow. Are you all right? Yes. It's just my leg. I think it's cramping up on me. <clears throat> and you're coming down with a cold as well? What a trip. Maybe we should just turn around now. No, no. <clears throat> I'm I'm fine. Honestly. <clears throat> Pull over. Let me drive for a while. You come have a lie down in the back seat. Get some rest. 
Oh, all right. That might be a good idea. Of course it is. And to think, you wanted to go on this trip without me. After driving another 400 miles, Hazel and Nancy ended their second grueling day on the road at a motel in Phoenix, Arizona. They tried to get an early start the next morning, but Nancy's cold had gotten worse and her leg was still cramped. Further complicating matters, the Packard was starting to give the women trouble. After just two days on the road, it began making rapid backfire noises and the timing couldn't have been worse. The Frome women were leaving the Sonoran Desert behind for the harsher, more desolate Chihuahuan Desert. Towns were few and far between there. If their car broke down on the road, assistance might be hard to come by. Hazel and Nancy made sure to stop as soon as possible to have their car looked at. At 2 p.m. on March 25, 1938, the Frome women pulled into a Texaco station in Safford, Arizona, near the New Mexico border. They spoke to an attendant about their misbehaving Packard. Well, Mrs. Frome, there's good news and there's bad news. Good news is I think you just have a sticky valve or a camshaft belt slipping. That's the good news? Oh, sure. Neither one of those is too big a problem. (coughs) So, what's the bad news? Bad news is I don't have a mechanic at the moment to make the repairs for you. Then what would you recommend we do? Whereabouts are y'all headed? Through El Paso, then on to South Carolina. Whew, that's quite a trip. I reckon you could make it to El Paso all right. But if I were you, I'd stop there for repairs. Are you sure we can make it? I'm not a betting man, but I'd wager on it. Well, all right then. El Paso, here we come. The Frome women got back on the road with the Packard sputtering and backfiring the whole way. Hazel and Nancy reached El Paso around 6 p.m., just as the sun was setting. The little city wasn't much, but to these exhausted travelers, it was an oasis in the desert. After three days of detours, car trouble, and sickness, driving into El Paso was a welcome relief. That evening, Nancy and Hazel checked into the Grand Hotel Cortez. Hazel asked if there was a doctor who could see her daughter. A bellhop offered to call a local doctor he knew, Wolfgang Ebel. He was good-natured and direct, with distinctive large eyes and three scars down his forehead. It's good that you called me. But it's not anything too serious, just a common cold and some muscle cramps. I'd prescribe a tonic, a muscle relaxant, and as much rest as possible. Oh, well, Nancy, maybe it's a good thing the car broke down when it did. At least you'll have plenty of time to recover. Your car broke down? I'm sorry to hear that. Oh, it's quite all right. I'm sure we'll be on the road in a couple of days. Thank you so much for your help, Doctor. Who should I make the check out to? To Dr. Wolfgang Ebel. E-B-E-L-L. Oh, is that a German name? Why, yes it is. My husband is German. Well, German-American. Oh, really? Yes, Weston Frome. Maybe you've heard of him. Did you say Weston Frome? Of the Atlas Powder Company? That's the one. Oh, Mother, don't bore him with stories about Pop's powder business. Let the man go. Oh, yes. 
I probably should be on my way. I wish you the best with your trip. The doctor seemed particularly intrigued to learn the women were related to Weston, but Hazel and Nancy thought nothing of it at the time. Instead, they were focused on recuperating from their grueling trip. Though they were disappointed that this new delay would put them even further behind schedule, they were lucky to have made it to El Paso at all. The city was the largest one for hundreds of miles, and with the Mexican border so close, there were plenty of ways to keep themselves entertained while the car was repaired. But being in a bigger city also had its risks. The next morning on Saturday, March 26, 1938, a serious international incident sparked protests and violence throughout Mexico. Mexican President Lazaro Cardenas ordered the military to seize the assets of all foreign-owned oil companies in the country. Many Mexican citizens were pleased with this action as an effort to break up the United States' monopoly on oil refining. However, some Mexican workers were upset at losing the jobs that these U.S. companies provided. Hundreds of people from both sides of the conflict took to the streets, and violence broke out when opposing groups clashed. There were incidents of unruly mobs threatening American tourists in Juarez, Mexico, just a few minutes away from the Hotel Cortez. But for now, the Frome women were able to avoid any violence. Instead, they were focused on getting the Packard repaired as soon as possible. Early Saturday morning, Hazel called Harold White, the El Paso district manager for Atlas Powder, to see if he could assist them. Mr. White worked under Weston Frome, and he was happy to earn some points with his boss. He helped Nancy and Hazel by picking up the Packard and taking it to the local dealership. Later that day, he called Hazel with an update. Hello, Harold. Yes, I've spoken to the mechanic. Apparently the mushroom has broken off the pushrod and the eccentric on the camshaft is badly scored. What on earth does that mean? Basically, it's an easy repair to make. But the problem is, it's such a rare defect that no one in town has the right parts. You might have to stay put for a few days while they track them down. Oh, we're already so far behind schedule. Is there really no other way? Two women driving alone through the desert with a car on the fritz. I wouldn't recommend it, especially not when those ladies happen to be my boss's wife and daughter. I understand, Harold. Thanks so much for your help. If we're going to be here a while, would you mind bringing our bags from the trunk? Not at all. I'll see to it today. When Mr. White swung by the Hotel Cortez to drop off Hazel and Nancy's luggage, he was surprised to hear from the bellhop that the Frome women had taken a trip into Mexico. For two women traveling alone, an excursion across the border was dangerous, even without the violent protests and political unrest at the time. The El Paso Juarez area had its fair share of border town desperados, and in the late 1930s, there was another undesirable element in town. Various spies and saboteurs had taken up residence in Mexico in order to use the porous border to sow discord in the United States. These agents of chaos were mostly German, with some from Japan, Italy, and the Soviet Union. But the Frome women were blissfully unaware of this international intrigue. Nancy was feeling much better after taking the medicine that Dr. Ebel prescribed, and she and her mother decided to take advantage of their delay to spend time shopping in Juarez. All the while, they complained about their play to anyone who would listen. 
Word traveled fast, and soon most of the guests and staff at the Hotel Cortez knew about the stranded socialites. Hazel was pleased to be the center of attention. She let it be known that her husband was a very powerful executive in the explosives industry. She also mentioned that her beautiful, intelligent daughter wasn't yet spoken for. When Hazel and Nancy returned to the hotel after their shopping spree on Saturday, they had a message from Harold White. They were eager to call him back for an update on their car repairs. Harold, apologies for missing your call. You have good news on the Packard, I hope? I'm afraid not. They're going to have to fly the parts out from Detroit. The mechanic says it'll be midweek until it's ready. Most likely Wednesday morning. Well darn. I'm sorry, Hazel. I know that's not what you wanted to hear. But hey, while you're in town, why don't you come over and spend the day with us tomorrow? Oh no, we wouldn't want to impose. Don't be silly. Me and the missus would be happy to have you. Unless you have other plans. Well, you've got me there. We'll see you tomorrow. Hazel and Nancy spent the next day, Sunday, March 27th, going on various outings with the White family. They toured El Paso's parks and landmarks and crossed the border for dinner in Juarez. On Monday, Hazel went to check on the Packard herself, but even throwing around Weston's name couldn't speed up the repairs. They were stuck in El Paso for at least one more day. Hazel and Nancy decided to make the best of it, again going into Juarez for the day. But this time, they decided to have dinner at a nightclub. During their meal, two sharply dressed white men approached Nancy and Hazel and asked them to dance. Though the women declined the offer, they chatted with the men for a few moments. Then, after their brief conversation, the two men left the nightclub. And soon, Hazel and Nancy did the same. That night, they returned to the Hotel Cortez around 11 p.m. But before heading up to their room, they checked the front desk to see if any messages had been left for them. They had none. The Frome women spent most of the next day waiting for the repairs on the Packard to be completed. Nancy passed the time listening to the radio and embroidering gifts for Maida while her mother made a hair appointment at a local salon. While Hazel was getting her hair trimmed and styled, something peculiar happened. According to the salon owner who was doing Mrs. Frome's hair, a man stood outside the shop, staring in at Hazel through the floor-to-ceiling windows. He even stepped up close to the glass and shielded his eyes to get a better look inside. Then, after Hazel left the salon, the man approached her. He was in his 30s, had a medium slender build, and wore a business suit. The salon owner watched from inside the shop as Hazel calmly spoke to him for a few minutes before the two parted ways. It seemed nothing was amiss for the time being. But later that same afternoon, Hazel and Nancy visited a travel bureau with a strange request. Hello, ladies. Can I help you? Yes, I hope you can. We're driving to Dallas, and we'd like a travel companion to ride with us, just to be safe. Well, I agree with you there. You can never be too careful around these parts. Unfortunately, I don't have anyone headed to Dallas at the moment. If you wanted to wait for a day or two, someone might come in. Well, that won't work. We are hoping to leave first thing tomorrow morning. I see. Well, 
I'm sorry I couldn't be of more help. You ladies take care. Have a safe trip. Thank you. We'll try. The intrepid Frome women had sailed around the world by themselves, twice. But suddenly, they thought it would be a good idea to have a travel companion for the 700 miles to Dallas. Perhaps the man Hazel spoke to outside the salon said something to make them nervous. In any case, they were eager to put El Paso firmly in their rearview mirror. That afternoon, Hazel and Nancy were relieved to hear that the long-awaited parts had arrived. They would finally be able to continue their journey the next day. In high spirits, they spent the evening in Juarez one last time. After having dinner across the border, the women stopped by at least one nightclub before returning stateside. As they enjoyed their night on the town, they had no idea their trip was about to take another turn for the worse. On Tuesday evening, as Hazel and Nancy returned to the Hotel Cortez, Hazel checked with the front desk to see if they had any messages. This time, something had come for them. A letter had been delivered to the hotel in a large, plain envelope. It was neither postmarked nor addressed. In fact, it had no writing at all other than the word from. Hazel asked the clerk who had left the message, but he told her he never received their name. Hazel put the envelope in her purse and made her way up to her room with the mysterious message. Apparently, she thought nothing of the letter. She didn't bother to open it until the next day. But when she finally read it, the contents made both her and Nancy terrified. They had to leave El Paso immediately. Their lives depended on it. Up next, we'll hear more about the fallout from this foreboding note. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Now back to the story. After days of delays on the morning of Wednesday, March 30th, 1938, Nancy and Hazel Frome's Packard was finally roadworthy again. But then, just as the women were about to get their trip back on track, a mysterious letter threw another wrench into the works. According to a hotel maid that was present, Hazel opened the unmarked envelope and began reading a handwritten letter that was a few pages long. Nancy put down her embroidery to listen as her mother read aloud. Hazel became increasingly agitated and fearful as she read. Whatever the contents of the letter were, Hazel wanted to keep the message completely private. She sent the maid to finish cleaning in another room so that she wouldn't overhear. As soon as Hazel finished reading the letter, she and Nancy began frantically packing to leave. 
haphazardly tossing their things into their luggage. The letter was never found, but from the effect it had on the two women, it can be assumed that it was some kind of threat. Suddenly, they couldn't get out of town fast enough. On their way out of El Paso, the Frome women stopped at a Texaco station to fill up the tank. Hazel asked the attendant if there were any different routes out of the city that connected to U.S. Highway 80. It seems that Hazel was worried that someone might follow them as they left. She was disappointed when the attendant told her there was only one road out of town. There was nothing for it but to push onward. Hazel and Nancy planned to take the lonely road to Dallas and arrive that night. But tragically, the Frome women never made it that far. On Thursday afternoon, March 31st, 1938, the day after Hazel and Nancy left town, two Army engineers were out surveying land almost 200 miles east of El Paso. They came across the Frome Silver Packard on the side of the highway. Hold on a minute. Isn't that the same car that we saw yesterday? I reckon it has to be. But why would anyone just leave a car like that on the side of the road? They'd have to be crazy, (laughs) that or dead. Well, we'd better go take a look. At first, the soldiers reported the abandoned vehicle to their sergeant, and a pair of sheriff's deputies were dispatched to investigate. On Friday morning, the deputies arrived to a troubling scene. The Packard had been driven carelessly through the desert brush, Dirt and cactus were caught in the bumper and thorns were sticking out of the tires. The car doors were unlocked and the keys were left in the ignition. Someone had stripped the car clean of all luggage. The deputies found that the Packard was in perfect working condition and still had gas in the tank. It didn't seem like mechanical problems had run the car off the road. However, the trunk did hold a tire that had been punctured by long cactus spikes. Someone had clearly changed one of the car's tires recently, but strangely, the Packard's own tire change kit hadn't been opened. This suggested that another set of tools were used. The deputies drove the Packard into the nearby town of Balmaria. There, Deputy Sheriff Sam Davis looked the car over and wrote down a description for his report. The Packard was in nearly perfect condition with one exception. There was a tiny green paint streak dent in the right front fender. The mark was so insignificant, it didn't even make it into the initial report. The deputies noted the out-of-state license plates and reached out to the California Highway Patrol to notify the owner. But when the state authorities sent an officer to the Frome residence, Weston was out on a business trip. He wasn't informed that the Packard had been found until he returned home at 11.30 p.m. that night. Hello, officer. Can I help you? Good evening. I'm with the Berkeley Police Department. Are you Mr. Weston Frome? Yes, officer. What's going on? Are you the owner of a silver 1937 Packard 8 Series sedan? Yes, My wife and daughter are driving it right now. Has something happened? CHP informed us that the vehicle was found off the highway outside of Balmaria, Texas. What? I I haven't heard from my wife and daughter since Tuesday. What happened to them? Where are they? Sir, as I understand it, there was no one in the car when they found it. I'm sure the deputies are doing everything in their power to locate your wife and daughter. They'll get them home safe. No. 
Something awful has happened to them. I, I just know it. Let's not jump to conclusions. Nothing at the scene indicated there was any foul play. For all we know, they just had a bit of car trouble. No, they're dead. They were kidnapped and murdered, I'm sure of it. <laughs> My poor girls. I'm sorry, sir. I know this is troubling news, but there's no need to panic. We'll keep you updated as the situation develops. The police officer who broke the news found it odd that Weston felt so certain that Hazel and Nancy had been kidnapped and murdered. He noted this in his report to share with the El Paso authorities. Meanwhile, back in Texas, the investigation was still being treated as a missing persons case. Hoping to find a clue to Hazel and Nancy's whereabouts, Sheriff Lewis Robertson set out to retrace their path on Saturday morning, April 2nd, 1938. Sheriff Robertson drove the Silver Packard west on U.S. Highway 80 towards El Paso. As he drove, he stopped along the way to inquire if anyone had seen the Frome women or knew where they might be. Unfortunately, this backtracking failed to uncover any leads. It was time to escalate the search. Sheriff Robertson reached out to the El Paso branch of the FBI. Agent Bert Dameron was brought in to investigate a possible kidnapping across state lines. Late that same night, a search party of 25 people was assembled to scour the desert for any sign of Hazel and Nancy. A Coast Guard airplane was even commandeered to help broaden the search area. But this was all to no avail. By Sunday morning, the Frome women had been missing for three days and investigators didn't have a single lead. The situation was becoming dire. Meanwhile, in the Bay Area, Weston Frome was in contact with his El Paso-based colleague, Harold White, who kept him updated on the search. By late Saturday night, White leveled with Weston. He had better come out to Texas. Weston caught a flight for El Paso and arrived in the wee hours of Sunday morning, April 3rd, 1938. He was met at the airport by Harold White and El Paso District Attorney Roy Jackson. At the time, White and Jackson noticed that Weston appeared to be very intoxicated. But this was perhaps understandable given the circumstances. Weston, White, and D.A. Jackson soon drove to Pecos, Texas, the home base for the search effort. Sheriff Robertson suggested that Weston and White go into town and get some rest, but they refused. The Atlas executives insisted on participating in the search party. They hiked through the bleak landscape looking for any sign of Hazel and Nancy, but their hopes dimmed with the setting sun. Do you think they're out there somewhere? Of course they are. We'll find them. I know we will. We'll find their bodies, you mean? No, don't. Think that way, boss. I can just feel it. They're gone. You don't know that for sure. All I know is, if they ever catch the murderers, I want to be the first to talk to them. I need to know why. While the search effort had continued on Sunday, April 3rd, news of Hazel and Nancy's disappearance broke in the local press. Soon, hundreds of newspapers across the country had printed the story. The San Francisco area was horrified when the distressing news about the Frome women finally reached the West Coast. The news frenzy reached near hysteria as headlines speculated about the horrible fates that might have befallen Hazel and Nancy. 
Ultimately, the reality of what happened to the Frome women was much more awful than anyone could have predicted. The testimony of one reluctant eyewitness shifted the case from a missing person search to a murder investigation. On Wednesday, March 30th, while at the end of his run, Jim Milam, a truck driver for a Texas oil company, witnessed something odd. He saw two women in a shiny silver Packard being chased by a smaller, older model car. But Milam thought nothing of it at the time. Days later, when his wife read about the abandoned Packard in the Sunday paper, Milam casually mentioned what he saw on the road. Though his wife told him to call the sheriff's office, Milam didn't want to get involved. But when a service station operator on Milam's route seconded his wife's advice to alert the authorities, Milam reconsidered. He led the authorities to the place where he had witnessed the car chase and joined the search. Within hours, the truck driver quite literally stumbled onto Hazel and Nancy. The Frome women's corpses lay face down in a ditch. Mother and daughter were side by side in death as they were in life. They looked almost peaceful, but based on the scratch marks left in the desert sand, it was clear they had put up a fight. Their half-naked bodies were marred by deep wounds and two large pools of blood spread out from each of their disfigured heads. The severity of their injuries showed that Hazel and Nancy had met a violent, grisly end. The women weren't just killed. They were tortured. But who had committed such a grisly crime? And why? Thanks again for tuning into Unsolved Murders. We'll be back next Tuesday with part two of Hazel and Nancy Frome. We'll explore the decades-long hunt for the murderers of Hazel and Nancy Frome. We'll also analyze the theories that resulted from the investigation into their deaths, including the potential involvement of an Eastern European con man and a Nazi spy ring. For more information on this double murder, amongst the many sources we used, we found Fetch the Devil, the Sierra Diablo Murders and Nazi Espionage by Clint Richmond. Extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Well, not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Unsolved Murders, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Unsolved Murders on Spotify, just open up the app and type Unsolved Murders in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. Yeah, if we live till next time. Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Michael Langsner with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, Isabella Way, and Joel Stein. This episode of Unsolved Murders was written by Nani Okwalagu with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Jen Wong, Joe Hernandez, Dan Velasquez, Susanna Corrington, Harris Markson, and Vanessa Richardson. It stars Wendy McKenzie and Carter Roy. 